morning. My name is Laurie Vincent. Um, my husband and I have been attending Faith for seven years. And our passage this morning is from Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you, Lori. It's good to see all of you here today. Glad you've come to worship with us. You know, a few years ago, this, this parable that Laurie read really uh, kind of captured my attention and came, became fascinated with it. And when that happens in my life, I don't take that as a coincidence. I take it pretty much as a prompting of the Holy Spirit to slow down, settle in, pay attention, and say, God, what do you want to say to me through this scripture? There's a reason why it's on my heart and on my mind. And I, I also think, what does God want to say to us with this scripture? And this, this passage doesn't tell us everything we need to know about our posture toward God and our posture toward one another. But it tells us something that is so foundational that if we miss it, everything else will be compromised. It is possible to do Christian things, good Christian things, praying, fasting, tithing, uh, serving, sharing our faith. It's possible to do those things for years and decades and bear little or no spiritual fruit. If we miss what was, what's in this passage, that's exactly what will happen. But that's not what we want, right? We want lives that bring delight to the heart of God. We want lives that bear fruit in time and for eternity. And so I would just invite you now, you're here to settle in, power down, pay attention, and invite God to show you anything that he wants to teach you through this, this scripture. So this is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And as is the case with the parable right in front of it in Luke 18, Luke tells us exactly why Jesus told this parable. We're not always told but here we're told very directly, verse 9, he, Jesus, also told this parable <clears throat> to some who trusted in themselves that they, were, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And so first, they didn't trust in God to make them righteous. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And so when it came to their posture toward God, they got it exactly wrong. And second, Jesus says, he told this parable to, or Luke tells us, he told this parable to those who treated others with contempt. And if you have an attitude of contempt, 
you despise someone or some group of people so much that you view them as worthless. You, you feel so superior to these people that you, you don't think they deserve the most basic of civilities. Well, Jesus told this parable to people who, whose posture toward others was one of contempt. And so they got it exactly wrong when it came to their posture toward God and their posture toward others. Here's the parable. Verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And I assure you that everybody listening, the disciples, the Pharisees who were there, everybody assumed that the Pharisee was going to be the hero of this story. The Pharisees were kind of like the special forces when it came to the Jewish elite. They were the, the most devout. They're the ones that, that did all the things. They checked all of the boxes. But in this parable, the Pharisee embodied pride, which God finds repulsive. Look at verse 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. And so the fact that he, he stood by himself, this posture, suggests that he, and was, as we'll see, he was just obsessed with differentiating himself from other people, to showing that I'm not like those people. I'm different. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in a category all my own. This posture reflects a hard attitude of being separate and superior. And that's what pride does in all of our lives. Pride gives us this attitude. We start thinking, you know, I'm, I'm superior to people. I'm different than people. And we start looking down on people in, in subtle and not so subtle ways. And we make sure that everybody knows that I'm not like them. Don't assume, don't think I'm like them. I am different. I'm better. Well, the Pharisees prayer revealed how he treated others with contempt. And it's good to start your prayers with thanksgiving, right? But this guy, he prayed, God, I thank you I'm not like other people. I thank you that I'm, I'm different. I'm separate. I'm superior. I'm not a common sinner. But the rest of Scripture suggests and, and actually demands that there is no other category than common sinners. Um, uh, Paul in, in Romans 3.23 said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so this guy may not have sinned in the outward ways of the people that he was, was describing. Uh, he may not have, have been one who was an extortioner, unjust, adulterer. He certainly wasn't a tax collector. But Jesus made very clear that God isn't merely concerned with a short list of sins that almost everybody will tell you those things we should avoid. God is also concerned about sins of the heart that almost nobody sees that, that, that really reflect a heart that's alienated from God. Well, perhaps the Pharisee had never swindled people out of money. Maybe he was not an extortioner. But had he ever coveted his neighbor's house, his neighbor's possessions? Maybe this man had never committed adultery. But had he never coveted his neighbor's wife? His final comment in verse 11 is really choice. He says, I thank you that I'm not like even this tax collector. And whereas he was a special force, the tax collectors were the bottom of the barrel. 
the Romans had conquered Israel, and, and so tax collectors worked for the Romans. They collected taxes from the Jewish people and sent it to Rome. And then on top of that, they had a kind of a finder's fee. They collected additional taxes for themselves. And so tax collectors were typically unjust. They typically did extort money from fellow Jews. They took more than they should. And so the Pharisees' evaluation of the tax collector as a sinner was not wrong. He was not wrong about that. But he still had no right to view that man with contempt. And at the heart of contempt is comparison and differentiation. And I think you know how this works. I know how it works in my life. We, we notice sins, weaknesses, faults in other people. It tends to be very selective. It's not the things I struggle with. It's their sins that we notice. And the more fixated we become on other people's sins, the more justified we feel in viewing them with contempt. And the more we feel superior to them because I'm not like those people. I've got my issues, but I'm not like those people. And I'm about to ask you a question. You probably didn't come to church this morning to, to think about this, but I want you to think about how are you like the Pharisee? Are there individuals or are there groups of people that you tend to loathe, people that you tend to view with contempt? Let me uh, prime the pump a little bit. Perhaps it's somebody who has wronged you in some way. And it, it might be something that happened very recently, or it could be something that happened years and years ago. It might be something rather trivial. Maybe they just belittled you or, or mocked you in front of people. Or maybe it was something very significant that's actually altered your life for the worse. I mean, it's a big deal, but they, they've offended you in some way. Has your anger, has your bitterness grown to the point of contempt? Or maybe you're like the Pharisee in the sense that you have this short list of sins. Uh, probably not your sins, but there's a short list of sins that other people commit. If they did that sin, they're basically subhuman. They're not beyond the reach of God, but that would be above and beyond what, what he normally does. Or maybe you view with contempt people with whom you disagree theologically or politically. Honestly, you have a hard time believing that there are people that stupid, I mean, honestly, that clueless, that blind. And some of you are very perceptive. You notice, wait a minute, that's the third time you've mentioned political, how you view uh, political, people who differ from you politically. You've mentioned it three times, four times. Is that, well, why is that? Well, this is a, a presidential election year, and it's our conviction that we need to do better. We need to do better. We're not like the world. I mean, it's this contempt is in the air that we breathe. But we're, we're to do better. We're, we're, to, we're followers of Christ. We're not to, to hold others in contempt. And I would remind you that the Pharisee was not wrong about the tax collector. And it's possible you are not wrong about the people that you tend to hold in contempt. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean that you should. We'll talk about why that's the case in a few minutes. So, but when it came to his posture toward other people, his Pharisee got it exactly wrong. Same is true about his posture toward God. He said, I fast 
twice a week. He's reminding God of this in case he, he didn't realize. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And so um, in that culture, fasting was, was general. They generally fasted once a week. He fasted twice a week. And when it came to tithing, which is giving a tenth, this guy wasn't looking for loopholes. Hey, do I have to tithe of this and this, the gross, the net, all that? He didn't, he didn't wonder about all those things. He said, I tithe of all that I get. And so these are practices that are taught and advocated in Scripture. But uh, uh, there's nothing wrong with them. But Jesus made clear elsewhere in Matthew 23 that that these these Pharisees, their tithing was one more expression of self-centeredness. It was a show. They weren't tithing. They weren't fasting out of love for God. They weren't tithing and fasting out of faith. God was wholly unimpressed with their outward expressions of righteousness because their hearts were far from him. And so when it came to their posture, his posture toward God, the Pharisee got it exactly wrong. But we come to verse 13, and there's a stark contrast with the tax collector. Verse 13, the ta- but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And so this is the posture of a man who knew that his only chance with God was mercy. And his, his, his body posture reflected it. So he stood a long way off. He didn't think he could just come right up into the, the presence of God. And he didn't think he could just look God in the eye and just say, here I am, your favorite. No, he wouldn't even raise his eyes toward heaven. And he prayed this very short prayer, very, very thoughtful, very theologically and spiritually profound, insightful. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And so first of all, he's, he just owned that he was a sinner. He didn't come pretending, God, I, you'd be awfully, awfully fortunate to have me on your team. It's like, no, God, I'm coming to you as a sinner, but I also believe that you are merciful. So be merciful to me, a sinner. And what had to be shocking to everybody in the crowd was that Jesus says in verse 14 that God granted the request of the tax collector and he ignored the prayer of the Pharisee. He said, I tell you this, this man, the tax collector, he went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so the Pharisee did not go home right with God. He was not justified because he exalted himself. Therefore, God humbled him. But the tax collector, he did go home right with God. That very day, he went home right with God because he had humbled himself. He owned his sin. He humbled himself before God. He asked for mercy because he humbled himself. God exalted him. The point of the parable is that true disciples of Jesus are humble toward God and everyone else. This is great. You don't have to wonder. Now, how should I talk? Should I, should I uh, approach people different than I approach God? Well, in some senses, but in both cases, we have this posture of humility. And so it simplifies the way we live our lives. Humble toward God, humble toward everybody else. And so we're not true disciples if we're not learning to be humble in these ways. Jesus was humble before God. And Jesus, when he invited people to come to him, he said, come to me. If you're weary, if you're burdened down, come to me. I will give you rest, for I am gentle and humble in heart. 
And so let's think about each of these. Uh, humble before God and humble before others. First of all, humble toward, uh, toward God. If you are not yet uh, a follower of Christ, um, by virtue of the fact that you're here, I take it that you're interested, that you're open. I hope somebody didn't coerce you to come. But if you're here, I would, I would just say two things. Number one, I would say, be warned by the Pharisee. What the Pharisee did, that attitude is just, it's just natural to human nature. We all tend to do it. We, we say, uh, or you may have thought this, you said, well, um, I'm not perfect, but I'm not like those people. I'm not near that bad. Compared to them, I'm pretty good. So I'm good with God. You know, we're good. I do need some help now and then, but I'm good with God. Well, I would just say that we do need help now and then, but if that's all we needed, then Jesus would not have become one of us and died on the cross. The brutality of the cross confirms the sinfulness of our sin. And so we don't just need help. We need a savior, someone to die for our sins. So be warned by the Pharisee. That, that attitude is pretty common. But also imitate the tax collector. Humble yourself before God in a very comprehensive way. That's the way everybody comes to Christ. Everybody. And so either uh, metaphorically or literally beat your breast, become distraught over your own sin. Uh, get to a place where you realize that your only help, your only chance with God is if he gives you mercy. And then go to him the way the, the tax collector did and cry out to God, God, be merciful to me a sinner. God, I've, I've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, times without number. I have offended you in ways I know, ways I don't know. But I believe that when Jesus died, he died for my sin. And so based on that, I'm asking you to blot out my transgressions. Just, just remove them as far as from me as the east is from the west. Give me your spirit. Give me, make me a new creature in Christ and God and lead me through this life into eternity. And so you're, you're not coming to God, you, like the old hymn said, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. So you're coming to him empty-handed, and you are walking away with, with the riches of Christ for eternity. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And you'll, you'll begin this journey with Christ that uh, goes through this life and into eternity. Now, if you're already a follower of Christ, I would, I would uh, just remind you that the uh, challenge for you and for me is to remain humble toward God forever. Remain humble toward God forever. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that's going to be just the most natural thing in the world in the next life. In the new heaven and the new earth, it's going to be so radically God-centered, Christ-centered, Spirit-centered that we wouldn't think of not being humble before God. But in this life, if you're a follower of Christ, you started out humble. That's the only way anybody starts out. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You started out humble, but the tendency is to move along. We grow, we learn things, we have maturity, we have virtues. And many times pride grows on our virtues more than our vices. And we begin thinking that we're a big deal and we notice the sins of other people and we're not careful we started out walking in humility, and we end up walking in pride before God. Carl Henry was a theologian, 
and he was interviewed. I think he was in his 80s when this happened, but somebody asked him, how have you remained humble down through the decades? And this is what he said. He said, how can anyone be arrogant when he stands beside the cross? Honestly, how can anybody be arrogant standing beside at the foot of the cross? Our Savior died for us. How can we bring pride to the cross? Well, if we remain humble before God, then we're in a good position to be humble toward everybody else. And earlier I, I mentioned that just as the Pharisee didn't have a right to be uh, show contempt to anybody else, that we don't either. And, then, and you wonder, why is that? Well, I say that because Jesus didn't treat us with contempt. He had every reason to, but he didn't. The New Testament ethic, as you mentioned numerous times, is that the New Testament ethic is that we're supposed to treat one another the way God in Christ has treated us. How has God in Christ treated us? Well, he didn't show us contempt. Uh, Rome, uh, Matthew 5 tells us, that, or Romans 5 tells us, that even while we were his enemies, he died for us. Luke 23 tells us that while Jesus was hanging on the cross, he didn't show contempt to the Romans who nailed him there. Rather, he prayed for them. Father, forgive them, because they, they just don't know what they're doing. We read in 1 Peter 2 that when Jesus was on the cross, when he was being reviled, he didn't revile in return, but he entrusted himself to God. And so that's the way Jesus conducted himself. That's the way he treated people. So he says, if you're my disciple, take up your cross daily. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily. And follow me, live the way I lived. And so instead of contempt and hatred, in Matthew 5, Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Peter wrote, do not return evil for evil or insult for insult, but give a blessing instead, for to this you were called. And so we don't have a right to treat anybody with contempt. So we're humble before God, and then we're humble before everybody else. Now, you may be thinking, are, are you saying that with all the sin and injustice and all the, the falsehood that's in the world, are you saying we just keep our mouths shut, we just isolate ourselves, we never step into those things? No, I'm not saying that. Far from it. I'm saying that we live as disciples of Jesus and we walk in humility, and eventually, if we're humble toward God and toward others, then we'll have a voice. Then we'll have a platform for addressing these things. But I will tell you, to my knowledge, nobody has ever been persuaded to repent through contempt. I don't know anybody who has shown contempt for how they were living their life, and they said, oh, now I see. I want to believe what you believe. I want to live, I want a life like your life. No, people can see pride a mile off, arrogance a mile off, and, and they, they run from it. But humility, humility, it is so rare that it's striking. And it's compelling, not to everybody, but for some people, it will be compelling. And then you have this this influence. Read Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Jesus said, before you're going to take the speck out of somebody else's eye, you have to take the log out of your own eye. Humble yourself, then you can see clearly. Then you'll genuinely be helpful to other people. 
This is very countercultural. It's the nature of the kingdom of God. Again, more than any time I can remember, our world is fueled by contempt. It's in the air we breathe. It's just natural. People are celebrated. People are praised for how skillfully they can show contempt for other people. Put people in their place, get a zinger, make your point, and, and move on. But that's not the mind of Christ. We, we care about more than that. We care about every human being because every person is created in the image of God and will spend eternity somewhere. And so we want to give off the aroma of Christ. We don't want to be like the world. We want to be like Christ. And so here's my, here's my encouragement, my challenge actually. You know, I thought this for myself. What if I became a person who never showed contempt to anybody? What would that be like? And what if this church were full of people whose ambition, not just a few scattered through, but, but, we, but as a body, we were full of people who never showed contempt for everybody. Imagine the freedom we would have in this church if we never returned evil for evil or insult for insult, but we gave a blessing instead. Imagine the impact we might have if we were a people who lived like Christ did and just showed zero contempt for anybody. Can you imagine that? The freedom. What if we allowed God to uproot all the things that fuel contempt, bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, pride. And so I'm wondering, will you, will you test drive this with me? Will you try this out? And this isn't the kind of thing you, you try for a week and say, oh, that didn't work for me. I'm thinking, how about we try this for eight or 10 years and see what God does in our midst? Honestly, what if we make this the consistent habit of our lives as long as we have breath? Life is hard. Every person you meet is fighting a great battle. How you treat them matters. Let's be disciples of Jesus, humble before God and everybody else. We're coming to the Lord's table, and this is a time when we remember that uh, we have zero reason for being humble, uh, for being prideful to God. How can we be humble at the foot of the cross? And so let the bread remind you that Christ's body was broken for you. Let the cup remind you that his blood was shed for you. And so if you're a follower of Christ, if you've trusted in Christ, we would love for you to join us. If you didn't get the elements, feel free to slip out and, and get these They're right in the, in the foyer there. But begin a conversation with God here and now just about these habits of uh, contempt and loathing and uh, finish up this, keep talking with God about this through the week. But I'm going to pray and then we'll have a, a time of silence and then we'll eat and drink together. Father, we bring ourselves before you now. God, this, this parable, Jesus' teachings just lay bare the condition of our hearts. And God, you know the ways we've been, we've walked in pride before you, the way we, ways that we've been uh, proud toward others and walked in contempt. God, we bring you this in light of the cross of Christ. God, we believe that he died not only to pay the penalty of our sin, not only to take away the guilt of our sin, 
God, to take away the habits of sin. And so, God, we, we bring ourselves before you. Show us, show us if there's anything within us that you want to address. And God, it's not us muscling this and making it happen. We want, we want you to do this deep work in our lives individually and in the life of this church. On the night before Jesus was crucified, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, take, eat. This is my body, which is for you. Do this as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. The same way he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, as we walk out into this week, I pray you'd open our eyes, open our eyes to the way we should uh, live before you and before others. We invite you to um, just melt us with your kindness. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. And we pray that we would receive your correction, <clears throat> your redirection uh, as children to a good father. And so we pray these things with anticipation. We pray that this would be an amazing week for us spiritually in our progress. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus, the greatness of mercy and love at the feet of Jesus, we fall down. cry
in this prayer out loud. Let's pray this as an act of worship today. Holy and generous God, we have gathered today to worship you and to be equipped for every good work you have called us to this week. And as we go, prepare us to witness to your goodness with every gift you have given us to share, that all people may know your peace through Jesus Christ now and forever. Amen. Well, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and soul 
and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Amen.